In 2035, the entire West Coast from Mexico to the Canadian border will be going mostly zero-emission vehicles. What does that mean for RVers? Well, let's find out. Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of fours base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate out from there. Please, grab a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the American West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. Washington State, along with both California and now Oregon, have drafted via executive order a new law that directs a future of zero emission vehicles by 2035. Joining us on the show is former Washington State Representative Emily Wicks. What makes Emily the perfect person to talk to is that she was also a member of the Transportation Committee and has first-hand knowledge and experience working bipartisan with others to help draft the future of transportation in Washington State. Emily Wicks was born and raised in the 38th Legislative District. She began her career in government affairs and communications in 2008, working for Governor Jay Inslee, Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib, and for the Marysville School District as a communications and community relations coordinator. Thank you, Emily, for coming on the show to discuss what the upcoming new EV law may mean to our viewers. Yeah, thanks for having me and um, letting me talk about my passions, transportation. <laughs> Before we kind of dive into the topic about this new EV law, I just want to put on the table that I am a fan, personally, of solar. We have a seven and a half kilowatt um, solar two and two arrays on our roof. And it has been extremely beneficial, both financially as well as environmentally for my family and for our home. So I am not opposed at all necessarily to this idea, but I do have concerns that I think are shared. Well, first off, let's can you just briefly explain the 2035 EV law? So the EV law will start in 2025. That's when it goes into effect. The governor's office is currently working on their implementation plans. In 2025, 35%, we will increase our electric vehicles uh, provided by 35%. So 35% of all vehicles by 2026 should be electric vehicles on the market. That increases to 68% by 2030 and 100% by 2035. So those are the, the checkpoints and the statutory requirements that we're trying to get to in our state. Some more background is that EVs to date, they're about 8% um, in Washington and our Washington fleet. That's 12% in California, which I use because they're a very similar state and we're following their lead. And it's 4% nationwide. So by 2035, the goal is to have all, and I, I need to be very clear about this, new vehicles, um, electric vehicles that are coming on the market. So gas powered vehicles. We're not just going to throw them away. We're not just going to, they're not, they're going to exist. Um, but as those become more rare um, over time, we'll see less and less, which will also encourage, I think, both the state further and private industry to have more of the infrastructure that we need. Um, and they'll be doing that as it happens. 
Thanks for sharing. Can you at least tell us a little bit more now about the why? Why why is this something that the state is focusing on? Absolutely. So uh, the governor passed an executive order. And, you know, in the background on that is that we have a state of... goal in in statute uh, to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions below 1990 levels. Those were 88.4%. And that decision called for a 45% reduction by 2030, 70% reduction by 2040, and a 95% reduction by 2050. Um, In 2018, just for some background, we were actually up by 99.5, we're up to 99.57%. I think some of this attributes to actually tracking this data. Um, They're doing it on a two-year basis, um, tracking that. And the next report will be out December 28th, I believe, on where we're at. And that will include 2019 levels. So we'll always be a little bit behind on that. So I give that context because this kind of explains why we're doing and I think why the governor did this order and we followed California. We have, you know, businesses, uh, state agencies that are part of this. We passed the Climate Commitment Act in 2020, which really puts the onus on some of these private sector uh, companies that are big polluters to address this and to work towards a cleaner environment and to reduce our green house gas emissions. So if all Washingtonians are to go EV, then what is the plan for kind of increasing infrastructure demand in charging stations? Yeah, so uh, it's through transportation packages and through our transportation budget that we're able to continually invest in that infrastructure. So uh, in 2022, we passed a 16-year transportation package of $17 billion over that 16 years. It's called the Move Ahead Washington package. Um, And that included $5.4 billion to climate commitment investments and $11.6 billion for preservation of maintenance uh, of our roads, culverts that we need to deal with um, to help salmon move, ferries, highway investments, diversity and equity, and all of those things. So, of that um, 17 billion, there is a 517 million dollars that's going to alternative fuel and electrification, and that includes. 400, I know there's a lot of numbers in here, but it does include 492 million for state and local decarbonization efforts, um, local grants. So this could be, you know, a PUD or I I could use them as an example, wanting to upgrade their wanting to include more electric vehicle charging stations there. It could be local governments doing that. It could be a variety of different things. And I don't know exactly how that will go into practice as kind of a process for those that are carrying that out, but it absolutely includes investments in moving us to more electric vehicle charging stations. Is the vision for that kind of like taking existing fuel stations, growing charging stations there, so then kind of still the charge or fuel? Yeah, it could. I mean, I think the I think the opportunities are kind of endless based on the resources folks have. So if you happen to be an area where there there is a need for that, um, that's a big, you know, and then there's more electric vehicles and you have that demand. I think when people if they see an opportunity there, they'll go for it. I know you also talked about, you know, RVs don't really like fit into the same, you know, spots as these electric vehicle charging units are, but but there's a demand for that. And that's what's gonna 
start be created, um, both by some government investments, but I also think by a lot of uh, private investments. Another little thing I, I think is kind of interesting is we've also worked on building requirements as well. So, you know, typically a lot of people say that folks living in apartment units can't really have an electric vehicle in the same way that, you know, a single family homeowner could, you know, they are going to start putting the right connections into those units. That's by required by law. Our local unions are also, they're doing training programs basically about how to work with this technology. So the electrical unions are are investing in what the future uh, holds with this and the need for them to start being trained to properly, you know, work on these stations, you know, converted gas stations or um, any, you know, infrastructure that ends up being developed. So I think it's really cool that we're both up dating the, you know, the next generation of workers um, and giving them the skills to continue to do what they do, but in a new um, way. So it's kind of all hands on deck. <laughs> you mentioned, which is one of my big concerns, is how I would fit. You know, I'm probably 50 feet long and there's no way I can fit. Has there been any thought or plans or ideas for what that might look like for those that tow or have big motorhomes or whatever it might be? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're a little bit farther away on motorhomes moving to completely electric, um, but part of the budget also included some money for the Northwest Seaport Alliance to be working on heavy trucks and these heavy duty vehicles. So it, we know that that's not what, you know, they're not going to be able to move that quickly. And I'm finding for a lot of trucks, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but from the auto dealers in the trucking industry, what they're going to need is hydro. That's going to better serve what we currently have as these diesel trucks. So there's an investment there. There's going to be a stakeholder group and a task force that I definitely would love if, you know, RV vehicle, RV owners would want to, you know, participate in and start watching those meetings as they go into place, because those are the conversations that we're going to have. And I just know technology is going to continue to to move faster and faster as more people are wanting these electric vehicles and are looking for them. There's a market. So like our auto dealers are already doing this. In fact, it's a, like they want to continue to sell these electric vehicles and they see where it's going. So this is going to happen, you know, kind of without the government or not. I think we're moving in that direction. Um, and I think it's really cool that in a sense, we're guiding that process through, but in a, in a way that make sure that people don't get left behind in the process. And we're having these conversations. So industry is not just going ahead and government's trying to catch up. We're trying to get in there and make sure that it's done in a way that, that is equitable, that provides for our transportation system. And that makes sure that drivers, you know, that can't upgrade also ha or have different needs are also able to continue to do that until it makes sense uh, for them to shift. Well, and you just brought up another interesting point. I did some research on uh, the Ford Lightning pickup mm -hmm. truck and kind of priced it out with a larger battery for towing capacity for my trailer. But that puts me at a base price of a $75,000 truck. Yeah. Are there any incentives or anything, you know, that like through tax credits or, or things of that nature to help people kind of offset that cost? You know, of mm -hmm. course, they'll be saving fuel. So amateurizing over ownership is one thing, but but looking at it that way, as well as then I worry about the towing capacity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I it's won't hard. pretend that's not a problem, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's with not the Ford F-150 mm -hmm. Lightning, uh, the farthest I would make it would be Everett to Leavenworth. Absolutely. Well, yeah. So to answer the first question, yeah, um, in Washington, so the purchase of an alternative fuel vehicle, they will receive up 
uh, a tax credit for 75% of the cost, which is um, up to $25,000 per vehicle. Um, and it applies to um, used vehicles that are modified as well. So these used electric or um, alternative fuel vehicles meet the U.S. Um, Environmental Protection Agency certified aftermarks. That's uh, that piece. We won't worry about that, but so you can get those. These incentives don't go into effect until 2025. That's when we have put the incentives there. So right now, ZEVs are not as prevalent in Washington as they could be because other states have done that. So manufacturers are sending them where they're needed. And just like the guy we visited, the, the auto dealer um, at Ford in Boise the other day, he said, you know, as this demand comes up, as more people are asking for this, then we'll get more on the list to be able to provide these for folks. So there's going to be incentives. That's a huge thing to um, help people and help. I mean, I know my sister's car was 83,000, I think plus, um, and her pay, you know, her payments are, I mean, it's a Ford truck, I guess, but you know, like nearly a thousand dollars. I mean, it's a work truck for her too. So, but I'm like, that's, that's unbelievable for me. Um, and I'm not necessarily going to be able to, you know, when get a new car in the next 10 years, perhaps, you know, and so I probably will be a while. I'm not a new adopter. Um, I want to get one to try all this stuff out that we need to do, but um, it's going to take a while for people. Again, there's going to be the new adopters. There's going to be people that find it beneficial to them that, that, that will see the benefit. There's going to be people that do it for environmental reasons, um, but we don't want to leave behind again, the people that can't upgrade right away. Right. Because that's expensive, even for people with money. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So 100% of all new vehicles sold in Washington state in 2035 are going to be electric vehicles. That is the goal and the hope okay. and it is statutory. <laughs> so based on in exactly the order. 2036, could I buy a used diesel 2035 that's a year old and be able to register it. I reached out to the governor's office because my assessment is, yeah, you know, it's, we don't, we're not going to take cars off on the road, you know, that, that are there. But I think what we will find over time is a pendulum will swing where it's not as efficient or smart or financially, you know, or, you know, cost effective to get a gas powered vehicle. And the hope is also that, and if it's, if the technology hasn't gotten there, there's still a market for it. I think that's going to be a, a hot commodity too. <laughs> um, right. So if people still want that, but they're not going to go away. No one's going to trash your gas powered vehicle. You know, we, we want to move forward again, like transportation is 41% of our greenhouse gas emissions. So that's why it's so important that we start here. Puget Sound Energy, I was just looking at um, the percentages of where they get their energy, um, you know, and coal is still um, 25% or 24%. Hydrogen is a little higher than that, but we're going to have to, <laughs> you know, still use this for our energy needs, but we can reduce our reliance on it and start diversifying. And that's the goal. Is biodiesel something that the state's also looking at? Because I interviewed um, the chief operating officer of sequential biodiesel on on the episode on the show. Oh, cool! A few episodes ago, and we geeked out on biodiesel, and it was awesome. <laughs> well, As I would, an alternative I, renewable yeah. source of potential fuel while helping American farmers, right? Because it's corn based, and so mm -hmm. it's not fossil fuel based, and it burns clean. Mm -hmm. I would like to even see more biofuels as a renewable option for diesels? I don't know. I mean, there is that big conversation around 
hydrogen fuel, electric, and um, and biodiesel included in that? Like, what do we have all of those? Like, how are we, you know, what are we really investing in? So that's always a conversation that I'm having with the folks in the auto industry is I think they want more clarification on like, what direction are we really going so that we can have enough of that infrastructure to set it up? A lot of RVers who have a motorhome typically will tow a small light passenger vehicle. They call them dinghies or toads is just kind of the mm-hmm. acronyms they use, but it's their shuttle, right? So they'll get mm-hmm. to the campground, they'll get set up, and then they'll have their daily use vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law out in Pennsylvania have a class C motorhome, and they've been looking at trying to find a dinghy to, for them that would work for them. And they're pro EV. My brother-in-law, Ian, has done a bunch of research about towing EVs behind a motorhome. It's problematic. Um, And you can't what they call flat tow, meaning you can't tow the vehicle on its tires. Mm -hmm. Because of, I guess, the way that they are manufactured, there is no neutral per se where you can spin everything without breaking anything while you're pulling Mm, it behind you. So they have to be towed on a trailer. It adds a different layer of complexity to the towing process. Yeah, um, that is like truly a bummer to hear, <laughs> you know, that that because the electric vehicles would be a perfect vehicle for those short trips when you're um, stopped would. at some place um, uh, to camp. So I that's again, this is why I say you know, pay attention to these conversations on these larger vehicles, because there's going to be innovations around that. And there has to be right. I think innovations will continue to come. You know, I, I guess I'm just like a really optimist about it. Right. And we're, <laughs> and you know, with the 2035, we're still a decade away ish. So I mean, but a decade moves quickly. Unfortunately, I'm finding in life as you yeah. <laughs> get older, it goes faster. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this. I'm assuming then once the charging infrastructure start to really come into play, um, is there going to be a fee, right? I mean, now I pay for gas, Mm -hmm. you know, I buy by the gallon. Is there going to be a buy the whatever? And I'm going to have to swipe a card at a charging station to, or because right, right now, my understanding is if I go anywhere, I go to a silver tips game and I park in the County parking lot. I can get primo parking and I can plug in and charge while I'm at the tips game. No harm, no foul. Yeah, I think there's going to be a combination. I do think there's going to be an industry that results out of it. Um, you know, where we use that, I think you pay about $10 a month to charge your electric vehicle at your home. That's about what someone has estimated. So there, there's going to be a level, uh, you know, a fee to for people that want to profit off of it, right? Um, I think it's great that government entities and other spaces are providing that for free as part of their cost of doing business or having that in their space. And someone's going to figure out how to profit from this eventually, you know. But I think that's why it's so important that the government is investing in these grants and projects as well so that we can have these spaces for people. And so it's not an issue long term. I mean, all Washington State cares about when it comes to the electric vehicles is making sure we get the the road usage charge because they use the roads and we want to keep them safe and we want to continue to maintain them in this state. Is there any questions that I didn't ask that you feel like I should have asked? Um, No, I think we covered a lot. I can't stress enough just how fast I think technology moves. I think charging is going to get faster and faster as we go. I think we're going to have to address speed and capacity of these towing vehicles. I know that's a concern. 
a friend of mine has a Tesla, like a first generation, and he towed his Airstreams and then was able to use the Tesla app to find different locations where he could charge. Um, I'm sure it did take him a little longer than <laughs> than others. But, you know, if Tesla is doing this and providing that as a private company, there's ways for the government to follow. So, I'm, you know, I, I don't think anyone needs to feel like the world is ending, right? And like say goodbye to your diesel vehicle right away. But it's, you know, we'll adapt and we'll move forward as everyone's able to do it just like we've done with everything from, you know, cell phones to computers. So <laughs> sometimes the uh, journey is the destination as they say. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Emily, well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to yeah. chat with us here on RV out West. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Loving your show. <laughs> Thanks. This episode covered a lot of information that is relevant to us as RVers. While it does sound like there are obstacles that will need to be overcome Looking at where we are now, knowing where we are going, does give me hope that by 2035, the state just might be ready. With that said, and as you heard, this future switch also does not mean a full elimination of gas or diesel-powered pickups that we as RVers rely on when we are pulling our trailers, toy haulers, or fifth wheels. Or, for those of you who travel around in a motorhome, that you will not be able to find the fuel you need to fuel your adventures. We should remain open to the idea that the future of our RV travel may need to change because the only constant in life is change. Thank you so much for listening. To help the show grow, please share with your RVing friends and family about this podcast. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like me to discuss, please contact me via rvoutwest.com. Remember that we are dropping a single pit stop segment beginning next week as we will now be sharing content weekly. Please keep your eyes out for that episode in your podcast directory. In our next full episode in two weeks, I'm going to highlight a 10-day road trip that begins and ends in Seattle. This is a great episode for someone who is looking to explore all that Washington State has to offer and yet, they only have one week of vacation to experience it. Now, get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook, where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.